Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Pierre, and joining me, as always, is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together, we've watched the movie, we talk about it. It's really quite that simple. We'd originally intended, of course, on doing Arrival before this episode, so that we'd be building up to the new Denis Villeneuve film. Uh, unfortunately, we had to take a week off. Tara had to go and do some work stuff that meant she couldn't record for a little bit. Uh, so we'll be doing Arrival next. There's like a dessert, I guess, <laughs> to, to this. <laughs> but of course, we're here today to talk about Dune. Uh, part one. The, the, the credit, the, the title screen definitely said Dune part one. So That is correct. So that's what we're here to talk about today, the new adaptation from the classic book. Uh, of course, we did do the original David Lynch film about a month or so ago. So please do go back and check out that discussion, because uh, <laughs> I think this will make quite a nice companion to that. I, fe- I feel like there's going to be a few times in this where I compare it to that film, uh, just because... You know, it's, I mean, I I read a little bit of the book, but not a lot of it. A lot of my comparisons are going to be to the, the other movie. Uh, and I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about here. Uh, so we'll start spoiler-free. Well, probably not for long, though, because I feel like there's less of a reason to do it with something like this, which is an adaptation and a remake <laughs> all in one. But we will do a little bit of impressions, and then we'll get into the meat of it and discuss it. And we'll warn you before we do that. So, yes. Uh, Dune, of course, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is about a planet called Arrakis, which is a desert planet, and on that desert there is a valuable resource called the Space, which, you know what, I'm actually getting one complaint out of the way here. They did not say the word space enough for me <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> After that last movie, I was, I was like, ready for them to talk about the space. The space of life. The space melange. The space melange. The space this, space that, space girls. <laughs> right <laughs> they said space like twice it was weird i was like god oh, need more space anyway uh so there's this resource uh and then this one sort of empire is like kicked off of running the planet and mining the space uh and replaced by the atreides family who are kind of more noble and our main character is paul atreides who's the, the son of the duke and he it's, a, it's his story it's his kind of like hero's journey kind of thing uh, there's also natives in the planet called the Fre- uh, the Fremen, uh, who are like you know kind of like the sand people, if you will. Uh, so that's that's your basic setup. I guess I'll just leave it there. Uh, but obviously the Harkonnens who were kicked off the planet uh, aren't very happy about it, and they're also you know probably going to cause a ruckus. <laughs> there's my, my spoiler free premise of of Dune. There's a lot of other elements that play as well. There's you know there's like. There's like a voice thing that controls people. There's like a chosen one element. There's all these other things. We'll get into all that when we get into the meat of it. But uh, Tara, how did you feel about Denis Villeneuve's Dune Part 1? Yes, I was uh, very excited about this film. Um, Mostly because I think that Denis Villeneuve is a very exciting filmmaker, especially in sci-fi. And uh, has really impressed me with I think all of his movies, I know you're you're hit or miss with them, but all of them have been pretty impressive and some of them I like more than others. But uh, I was really excited to get a new Denis Villeneuve film and a new epic sci-fi film and they're perfect. I, I They mesh together so well. I love this film. I saw it twice uh, in the theaters. 
um, I saw it once again on Friday and then again this morning. And yeah, um, for the record, it's Sunday. The movie came out on Friday and it's Sunday. Yeah. So just to put that in perspective, how quickly you saw this twice. Yes, and I skipped the HBO. I went I went to the theater both times. And um, I tried to read the book beforehand. We skipped a week of recording because I had a, a work thing. So uh, it cut my reading time. I didn't make it too far, unfortunately. I made it through book one of the three different sections of books in here. And uh, it's most of the way through this film. But we'll talk about when we do the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, you know, there's a lot in here that is not in the film, but I think Villeneuve has done a really great job of making it more cinematic, much like the way Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings films. You know, some things can be omitted and it's okay. And um, I think he nails it, though. Like when, <laughs> when I was reading the book, like for it, Paul Atreides will forever be Timothy Chalamet. I think the acting is really well done the casting um and it's just such a beautiful film just i, I know it's not deacons but like it's it's uh I, I don't know who who the cinematographer is but it is villeneuve's vision still and it there is a through line with his other sci-fi movies that is still seen here he's just got the right eye for it um very very happy with the film that's a bit long <laughs> <laughs> I still have nothing to Tim. I mean, usually when I ask Tim for his impressions, he goes on for like five minutes. Like he he monologues and says things that clearly we're going to bring up later, but he just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> I just I'll yeah. let him roll with it. It's fine. Uh, so I'll call that a happy medium. Um, yeah, I so I, I was i wouldn't say i mean i wasn't excited as you were but mainly because villeneuve's work for me is very hit and miss uh i and you know his sci-fi work specifically blade runner 2049 i i am not as like all in on as other people are um i i do think that film has problems uh admittedly they're not all his fault a lot of the problems come from the previous film that i also don't think is that great and that's kind of why it kind of you know there's just there's just stuff that exists from before so i was very interested in this to see how this would work because you know i like the david lynch movie it's a mess but that's but that's almost partly why i like it is it's kind of a fun mess and and all that um and there's definitely you know when we spoke about that that for that first movie um i did sort of raise concerns of like some of the plot elements of june that i i just might not like like, you know, when it's done properly and it's done been taken seriously, I may actually just not like these plot parts <laughs> that, that much. You know, particularly the, the Chosen One, Messiah kind of thing that it's got going. So I was very curious to see how I'd feel about this. Uh, so I, I, I think objectively it's a better movie than the David Lynch. Well, it I'll put it this way. It's a better first half of a movie than the david lynch movie well i say that because i i think that's i think the hardest thing about reviewing this is the fact that it is half of a story for a story that was never designed to be split in two mm-hmm. and as a result i'll say it the ending is not like there's a very tacked on kind of we had to turn a scene that's kind of into like a, a teaser for the next movie and feels kind of forced uh to me 
just because, well, where we're ending it, there's not really a big cliffhanger or a big climactic moment to say this is the conclusion of our movie. So we get this weird scene where Zendaya almost winks at the camera and says, come back for part two. <laughs> so more than that. But this absolutely establishes a lot of things that you need to understand for the story better than the David Lynch movie ever did. Hell yes. Right? So <laughs> it's that, so much easier to follow. Right. So that that is a fact. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I still think there's a lot of things in the background that I only kind of partially understood because I'd seen the other movie and because I'd read some of the book. I think that so the, it's a very dense material that I think that it's one of those things where even if you like this movie you're probably going to want to go read the book if you haven't, just to flesh out a lot of the, the smaller details and the, the names and things that are mentioned offhand. That, you know, in the movie, they couldn't explain everything. Some of it just had to be throwaway references. Yes, but I'm so glad we don't have the inner dialogue anymore. Instead, actors are just showing instead of literally telling us this time. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we spoke about that, how that was, that was probably tacked on afterwards because nothing felt... Like, you know, it's probably too hard to understand. So it's like, oh shit, get some narration going to, to explain things. Um, Put Virginia Madsen in. <laughs> so, it is better. It's a beautiful film, uh, by and large. I don't necessarily think I like how everything looks better than the original. I think there's there's parts of the original film that I like better. And it's, it's very case by case. They probably sort of, in terms of like the design of the world, it probably mm-hmm. kind of evens out for me where the spectacle and awe of, of the new one because it can do these big things is wonderful. But one of the things I talked about when we did the first movie is I talked about the trailer for this and how the the scene with the hand in the box, look, it was just in a big open, vast space. There's a lot of interiors in this film that are just big, empty, vast rooms and I just think that's really boring from a design perspective. Uh, Disagree. You, you you feel free to disagree, but uh, I I think it's like a really weird. Like it just feels really fake to me. I don't know. And I, I get the part of the point is that okay, they're super rich and that you know, they're showing the difference in wealth and all this wasted space and it's the exuberance and all the rest of it. I get it, but uh, there's a point where it just kind of looks like a big fake empty space to me that no one would ever like. Well, that's that room isn't empty. It's a library, and yeah. I think that's also kind of significant because no, they I, have I, books again. It's not like a you know, this is a future where mankind has not rejected technology, but rejected AI and has sort of gone back to, you know, the way things used to be with the help of technology. They don't rely on things like, um, like, like, like we do as much. And they even mentioned, I don't know if it's, I think they mentioned in the movie that uh, the humans used to rely on AI and then, but that was a mistake. I don't know if I noticed that, but back back to the library though, I did notice there was there was bookshelves along the walls, but it didn't defeat the, the fact that it was a big giant circle with nothing outside of what's on the walls except this one chair and this one little table <laughs> for the scene to like take place. It felt like a, it felt like this is what you'd put on like a stage if you're doing a stage play <laughs> of something <laughs> where oh we'll just have a backdrop and then the the, the one chair that's needed for the scene. It it, it feels really empty and kind of. Uh, it's something that a lot of like sci-fi does these days, that which I don't like from a design perspective. But this, this is a design thing rather than like a, like, you know, an effects thing or uh, anything like that. Uh, obviously, it's shot very well. Uh, when it's outside, though, when it's doing outside stuff, it tends to look better than the original, uh, in the sense that you know the vistas of the the ships landing, whether it be on the the, the first planet or, or Arrakis itself, 
or all that sort of stuff. All that stuff looks better. I will tell you this, though. The Harkonnen planet looked way better than the original. This one is a generic, dark, steamy nothing. The original looked like they were living next to the Borg, like the Borg were their neighbours, and there was green everywhere, and there was pipes, and there was, like... Do you miss the gingers? Greasy slime. Well, they're all they're all completely bald now. They've switched the gingers for all completely bald people. Uh, <laughs> which... Do we see any female Harkonnens? Like, do we know what the, the women look like? Uh, yeah, there was, like, the assistant or whatever when they were um, bringing the Baron. They were trying to heal the Baron with the oil bath. Was she bald? Yes. All right, they're all bald. <laughs> they're yeah, all bald. not just bald, but like alopecia, like no hair. Oh yeah, they're completely yeah, completely you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, in reality, completely shaven or possibly bald cap. But I suspect that this is a big enough movie they insisted that everyone shave their heads if they want the parse. Uh, sure, it wasn't a stretch for Batista to shave. I mean, yeah, Batista's basically already there <laughs> anyway, pretty much all the time. Uh, so. Uh, and and Stellan Skarsgård probably d- could have gotten away with a bald cap because he was wearing a lot of extra a stuff. A lot of anyway. body makeup. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't really matter for him. But yeah, so yes. So the design I'm kind of like 50-50 on where some things I think look better because they appealed to me more in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in this that look much be- looks much better as well uh, on a spectacle level. Uh, mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Um. What's funny to me about this, though, is that obviously, so it absolutely fleshes things out enough in the explanations where I could, like, it definitely sets up. One of the things that I appreciated in this is that it really gets across this shift of, like, one of them's been forced out of the planet, the other one's been put in. Why is that happening? And we'll talk about why and all mm-hmm. that in spoilers, but they really emphasized that so that it was constantly being reaffirmed. It's like, okay, now we have this. This is a big deal that we are now moving into Arrakis and that we are the ones controlling the space. I feel like in the original David Lynch film, it's like, you barely even, like, like it's, it's like a throwaway mention in, like, one scene mm-hmm. that the, the other guys were the thrown out. The Emperor hath decreed it, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas this one, they're constantly talking about how, oh, they, they've left everything in a state, and everything's, like, in a really bad yeah. shape, because they're, they're, they're trying to sabotage. They're trying to sabotage. Yeah. They don't want them to su- succeed, and... Yeah. Like, that conflict oh, feels much better established than this, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. That said, though... And we don't see the Emperor in this one. No, which he's, I, he, was he's just a... He's just like a... Yeah, like a, a faceless character. Mm-hmm. He's a... You know, just this overseeing ruler that we don't get, ever get to... I mean, we may get to see him in this, this part two. I don't know. I imagine so. Possibly. Uh, what's interesting, though, so as much as I think that a lot of the fleshing out early on is really good... I actually think the section of the movie, if you compare it to the David Lynch film, that gets the most stuff added, which is after about the two-third mark of this, right? It's, you know, uh, once we're maybe more in the desert, just with, so I'm not spoiling anything. Um, that's where probably the most like significant, just big chunk of new things as compared to that movie, where there's a lot <laughs> of stuff before they meet the Fremen that's extra compared to that movie. Um Almost all of that, I was just bored by. <laughs> and really? It, and I, I thought, like, and it's not, it's not, it's not, and this is not to say that I think that this should have been one movie because I think that no, the, the, the original, <laughs> the original movie, unless it's six hours long, the original movie, uh, from like after where this movie ends to the end of that movie was far too rushed and absolutely needed its own movie. 
But mm-hmm. I do think a lot of the extra stuff in the back third of this one, I felt like uh, maybe you could have cut a lot of this. I don't know. I don't know if I needed. Well, most much of the of stuff this. is taken yeah directly from the book. Like, and this I is the believe part it. that this is the part around where I where I finished. But I thought so much of that was was much more fascinating because we get more of what Paul is going through, and Paul is kind of a like a thankless role to play because he's not really given a lot, but he has to carry the movie. And how do you do that if you're just a guy who's given everything and is just being told a bunch of things that you're going to be great one day, not right now, but you will be. So like having all those extra moments where we see how the spice is like, you know, what, what it's doing to him and what the, what all these prophecies are like weighing on him and getting those moments with him and his mother, I think that's like the main conflict of this first film. And I'm, I'm conflicted. Why I appreciate it there so much. I think I'm conflicted on Paul a lot in this movie. I think I appreciate that they're trying to like, get like the weight of like all these expectations from both his father to be the continuation of the bloodline, but also mm-hmm. from his mother to be this chosen one, right? The, the, the Quizza mm-hmm. Hadarak, right? Um, and from the Fremen. And, f- and from the Fremen even who... Well, I mean, that's kind of an extension because it, it, it kind of sounds like the the myth that's, that he's been built up as has kind of been intentionally planted amongst the yeah. Fremen by, by the... Yeah, I mean, we were going to talk about that. Yeah. I don't know if you want to wait to spoilers and stuff. But. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, but just to, to, for the general point I want to make here, though, is like, I kind of appreciate that they're trying to make it interesting by like all these conflicting things of, like, this is what you're supposed to be and how does that weigh on you? Mm-hmm. There is a certain point, though, where... like. One of the things that I I dislike the most in that first film was the sort of like dreams of the future, and like I do think this handles like the, the first time he actually meets Zendaya in this I think is a really good moment where the way it's mm-hmm. shot and the way it's handled, but like there was a certain point in this film where I was I was getting sick of him dreaming of Zendaya and I was getting sick of him dreaming of like what was to come. There was a point where I was just kind of like ah oh, whatever like. Just- mm-hmm. Like, and I think part of this is that as a messiah story, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just you know talking about how how little King Arthur appeals to me, and there is some Arthurian kind of you know vibe to some of this. Yeah, is there? It's, it's hard to talk about without like knowing the whole story because we only have half of it. Yes, that's and true. there is more than you realize i think it is going in a direction that you would prefer much like in because david lynch's film totally ignores like the heavy elements of this in the book and just says nope he's the chosen one but there there is more to it i mean you're sort of touching on it with the benny jesuit but that doesn't surprise me in fact there is one there is one thing about the the dreams that i do like by the end uh which i can't say without spoilers but yeah uh, I'll point that out when we're we're talking about it, but I, I yeah I will say that I don't think this movie succeeded in making me give a shit about Paul, uh, and I think in David Lynch's film it was less of a problem because it was such a messy sh- like silly movie, and I was just like God let's raid the worms let's raid the worms come on and the music kicks in and it's so majestic. But, I mean like Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin is, I mean like we like him because we like yes. Kyle McLaughlin, but like. That Paul is whatever, <laughs> you know, and getting like someone who 
you know, it is like we get to see the pain, not just from like the box, but like uh, of the weight of everything that's that's on him and like really staying with Paul for pretty much the entirety of the film and his journey. Like I thought was like I didn't absolutely give a shit about where he's going and his decisions and that's just, that's just, what's happening to him. And plus Timothy Chalamet is a like fantastic actor. And I, I felt like a lot of sympathy for him. Um, just like, I mean, I know it was like, Oh, boo hoo. You're like a prince or whatever. But like watching him interact with people who aren't even his own age because he has like nobody, he seems so isolated. And, uh, it, you know, I do feel a lot of, uh, emotion for him and his journey and uh, i mean this, we can go into specific scenes but like there are there are his performances like there there are little touches of um details in it that really like got me emotionally um but I and mean, we'll have to wait to talk about why but i i do think that especially if you're comparing it to the to the other film like uh, this is a uh, hundred thousand times better. I, I, th- I think <laughs> the, interesting, the interesting thing you said though is that we liked Kelly McLachlan because we like Kelly McLachlan. That is true. It's not because his character in that film is given anything. I don't. Yeah, I no, think no, it's no, a let, tough. Let finish, it's no, a tough me, thing to write. Let me finish my point. But I don't. I think the opposite is true with Telly Chalamet though. I don't think he's inherently likable like Kelly McLachlan is. I think the movie has to prove mm-hmm. to me that he's not some pompous <laughs> little shit because that's the look he's got on his face the entire time. Uh, I don't think so at all. He, he, he comes across <laughs> as like, I'm a serious actor and I'm going to be deadly serious in every scene I'm in and I'm going to like grill at people, even though he's not like, literally grilling. But he's, okay. he's always... <laughs> like... I certainly don't think so. I mean, he is... He, I mean, the, the he, we open with him on uh, Caladan, which is just a, a planet of water and rain and it's kind of... Well, it looks like it's planet Scotland. Like there's even a bagpipe in the ships. So of course he's like broody. I don't. He doesn't come across. I I I think I don't know. Maybe you have a problem with like younger successful actors or something. But like he doesn't come across what? that way to me. Because <laughs> if you're comparing this to like Jared Leto in in uh, twenty forty nine, like yeah. Like that's a, an actor who comes off as acting too much and trying too hard. There's nothing about Chalamet's performance that comes off that way. I think it's very subtle and nuanced. You know, your words. I'm taking them for this. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it is a tricky character to write, but because I sort of know the direction that the story is going, I guess maybe is why I still appreciate his performance and the way that his character is portrayed on this version of the film. Kyle McLaughlin, like if you watched Dune when it first came out, you're like, hey, who's this guy? <laughs> like you wouldn't have liked Paul. You wouldn't have liked uh, you probably wouldn't have liked Kyle McLaughlin, but you've watched Twin Peaks and so you like him. I've watched Sex in the City, so I like Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, well my compar the comparison to Kyle McLaughlin is just because it's an obvious one to make. It's not because I, I'm not trying to say that he's better in the role or anything like that. I, I, that's not what that's not what I'm getting at. Um, I'm saying that this character inherently, I think, uh, which you've also said, is a tough mm-hmm. one to crack because there is nothing really that likable 
are engaging about him on his own, he's kind of the plot device for the plot to revolve around. And I know that's a weird thing to say, because isn't that every protagonist? But he kind of is in the sense that we are dealing with kind of a, a typical messiah kind of chosen one journey, right? That That's what this, this story is. And sometimes when you have a story like this, you have a character in the center who's kind of dull and kind of blank. And what, one of the things that I complained about in the original film is that like there's like two or three characters around Paul who have moments to show that they're kind of nice people. Um, but he never gets that himself. This movie tries to do it a little bit. There's a couple of moments where he like he runs up and hugs people and it shows that he's... Like, he cares about, uh, what's his face? Aquaman. Duncan, uh, I- Duncan Idaho. Is that Aquaman? Yes. Right, Duncan Idaho, right? He cares about him, you know, he cares about other people. Uh, like they, ha- they have these little moments uh, where he he shows a bit more humanity. Uh, or when he banters with Josh Brolin, for example, when he's coming into like his first time at the table with all the, the grown-ups to having their meeting. Uh, like there's little moments that they try to give him a little bit of uh, a spark, uh, mm-hmm. which is nice. But he is very kind of moody all the time, uh, and and this is less of a. I I think you took to heart me complaining about Timothy Chalamet a little bit too much. I was kind of being a little bit hyperbolic about him because I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I think this character inherently is kind of bland, and the way they have chosen to tackle it from a script writing perspective is to have this character who is dealing with all this weight. And that is potentially quite interesting. But I don't know if there's enough here to make me actually care about Paul yet. And I say yet because I do think that there is a wrench that's thrown into the the dream stuff by the end of the movie that I do think is is a bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went, I, he still came, came across to me as a little bit of a blank slate for a lot of the film. I never really got found him that interesting. Um actually do you know one thing the movie did like three or four times that really annoyed me and it's not this is not a paul thing this was a this was mainly the duke although at least once it was jessica uh his wife oh not his wife sorry the, the, the point is they're not married actually concubine he's concubine yes but you know the lover right <laughs> whatever right uh there's like three or four scenes to show that they are like understanding like or maybe ruler's not the right word, but, you know, heads of state or whatever, where they, and it's the exact same thing every time, where someone who's a Fremen or likewise outside of the Atreides, like, normal line, who comes up to them and immediately all security, all go to pull out the swords, and he goes, no, wait, hold, hold, I'll, I'll allow it, let them speak to me. That happens three times in this movie, in three different scenes. And by the third time, when, they, when they're meeting the woman who's helping them learn how to use the suits... Um, and they do the same thing where she goes in to like, you, you know, like fix the suit, and they all, you know, the, and Josh Brolin's like, "Oh, don't, worry, I'll get my Infinity Gauntlet, <laughs> I'll get my Infinity Gauntlet, I'll punch you," and he's like, "No, nope. let her, let her move. She has my my approval." I I, I kind of rolled my eyes. Okay, all right. How many more times can we show that they are kind and understanding potential new leaders of this world? They're not like the the Harkonnens. They're not these tyrants who just want to hunt them down and take their resources. Because you know, that's kind of a big part, part of the movie is that the uh, Atreides actually wants to form an alliance. He wants to form a partnership. He wants to see, like mm-hmm. form something new going forward. Uh, that's a big theme of the movie, and we'll get into that. But like, but the, the third time it happened, I was like, "All right, I get it. Right, he's he's decent people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you can't you can't use the same trick multiple times. You can show well, me in di- I, different ways. Okay, he's good. I I guess that's a thing you can complain about, but like, I don't." <sighs> 
doesn't bother me because i mean he's the the duke he's the leader of this world you can't just walk up to him and they did it <laughs> people kept doing it because they felt comfort or they felt that they were comfortable <laughs> with him already and they're like whoa, whoa hold on you're you're still like a stranger walking up to a duke i part is just i don't like these types of characters i guess this is why it kind of started to annoy me after a bit mm. as you know the royal family kind of thing the I don't know, like, that's why I don't like fantasy, I hate it. <laughs> I hate this type of stuff. Don't think of it as a fantasy, think of it as a sci-fi film. It takes place <laughs> in the year 10,151. That's true, it specifies the year at the start of the movie, yes, I did notice that. Um, I mean, I couldn't have told you what year it was, yeah. so maybe well, that's because you saw it twice. I saw it this twice. morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the right year, I might be off. It was, it was 10,000 something, it was, it, was, yeah. it was in the ballpark. Early 10,000s, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I know. I, like, I, I, like that one's a bit more nitpicky. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's a huge deal. I think it's a little bit repetitive, right? So I felt the pacing mm-hmm. a bit when they did that again. Uh, I, I do think my general apprehension towards Paul as a character is a bit of a problem, though, because it it doesn't. It, it means it's hard to like buy into the overall story of the film. Because uh, where I think the film excels is the feeling of the world and the feeling of the danger of this planet and the overall. Uh, majesty of everything taking place uh that stuff is all pretty great and yeah. it feels really big and epic and it feels all these things uh so it does it, it, you know bizarrely it does come down a little bit kind of similar to blade runner where the technical qualities are basically flawless right you, you've got wonderful visuals you've got a great sound mix and score uh like i thought the 5.1 sound in this was especially well uh, arranged and mixed i was hearing a lot of music like shift from the front to the back like throughout mm-hmm. the film uh that that really stuck out to me uh yeah hans zimmer we got hans zimmer for it hans he, zimmer, he yeah. gave up tenet to do dune uh, he wanted to you know what he wanted to throw some bagpipes in something he's never had a reason to before so <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. I, I think they actually shot the, the stuff that you were saying Scotland I think they actually shot some of that stuff in Wales if I'm right like that stuff oh, the, yeah. the first planet <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about uh, like <clears throat> seaside towns in Wales and Ireland but for some reason sci-fi movies love to use them as planets <laughs> this is another planet they don't look like anything in America <laughs> that, that, that is Iceland I'm sure Iceland would look good as a planet <laughs> I'm sure yeah <laughs> um but yes so i i think it's a good movie i'm not in love with it though which is do you think maybe you're like you're waiting for it or how you feel about it will go up if you like the second film but yeah possibly i I think the end of the story could greatly affect how i feel about this i still think the last like half hour 40 minutes so this feels a bit of a slog though so I, I think that makes it definitely st- slows down. Um, I wouldn't say it's a slog. I, I still enjoy every second, every frame of the film. But uh, from I'm a pacing, it. from a pacing perspective, though, if you think of the overall story, like it's slowing down because it's the middle of the story. <laughs> so it's yeah. weird. That, it's I mean, weird. there are some action scenes, and you know, we get you know, a big reveal, which was yeah, fun but to it, have. But it's weird as a movie though, because you're you're sort of like ramping up to like the end of Act Two, and then it slows down. Right. We, yeah. You know it. It. But so. it was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> it was just an appetizer. <laughs> Where's my Andre? Yeah. So the ending is very unfulfilling. Like, when I realized it was cutting to the 
the credits. Uh, uh-huh. You can sort of see it coming because, like I say, it feels like a very kind of almost too wink wink like, oh, this is in our future. <laughs> come back for part two, everyone. Yes, come see this in the theater so that we can uh, have part two. Not well, just part two, but parts two through 12. Well, I I believe, I believe the Paul story is only in the first two books and uh, apparently Villeneuve has indicated that that's all he wants to do as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So it'd be the first book split into two and then the third book, apparently, uh, Messiah is short enough to put in the one movie. I think that's the second book and then Children is the third one. Yeah, he doesn't want, he doesn't Which was its own show. Yeah, but he doesn't want to do that though. He just wants to do the first two split into three movies. Okay, okay, yeah. Because uh, that's that's the whole that's the whole Paul story apparently. So uh, when you said part three, I was thinking the third book, not no. the, the third film. <laughs> no, third third movie would be the second book. Okay. And then that's well, like, okay. If we just get the Paul story and then we get the <laughs> miniseries or the series on HBO, that's all right with me too. Whatever. I want this to be his avatar. I want him to make, you know, 12 of them, but whatever he wants to do. I feel bad that I'm not as enthusiastic because I, I don't want 12 of these. <laughs> I'll see <laughs> well, part two. <laughs> you don't know if you want 12 yet. <laughs> I feel like you're holding it up. I actually kind of hate uh, saying that I, I, I like it and I think it's good, but I don't love it. Like, I don't feel passionate about it because Tara predicted after she saw it in Friday, that's exactly how I'd feel. And yep. I hate that she nailed it. Like, exactly. Um, I. It's funny, I feel like a lot of, like, every time Villeneuve doesn't hit for me, and I wouldn't describe this as a miss, this is kind of like in between where, like, I, can't, I, I need to see the rest of it. I need to see how he handles the rest of the story. What's funny, though, is that here it's less to do with uh, his choices and more to do with just the source material in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think, in, in a weird way, the goofiness of that first movie because everything's so condensed and it is, at a certain point it's just kind of a silly mess so you just kind of like you're along for the ride and just take it, it feels in. like a heavy metal cartoon that one yeah or like but, a fever dream be, because you know? this is taking it seriously and it's going slowly yeah and it's pacing all these things out which in, in theory is a good thing but if i'm not into the actual core story concepts mm-hmm. at that just at their core value then they don't get disguised with the cartooniness of the first movie. They just, they just, they're just, they're just there as the raw concepts, you know. Yeah, the there's nothing really crazy in this film. No, like even the Harkonnens, they although they are successfully disgusting, and there's an element in there that um, is introduced where um, they're pretty. Uh, I would say just just evil. <laughs> they they have like this experiment on humans thing going on that I think is that is introduced that is like ooh, what else are they doing <laughs> that we we're not seeing? Um, that was really intriguing and gross. But they're not like covered in boils or not like uh, the the Lynch version of the Harkonnens. Hmm. So, yeah. I think I think Dune just needs a more interesting main character for me. <laughs> I think that's fundamentally what I need from it. Okay. I need someone more interesting. But then again, maybe you're right. Maybe the second part half of the story and what it adds to make it more complex will, will right. make it well, all work for me. I mean, to be fair, I haven't finished the story, so I don't I don't really know for sure. But like, there's a lot of details in here that aren't in the film sure. for obvious reasons and. They are setting up things that it, 
you know, makes makes you go, oh, this this isn't what it seems to be. Okay, okay. Well, we'll give the spoiler warning then so we can just talk about what's in the movie uh, with the shackles off. So full spoilers for Dune Part 1 from this point on. That said, though, we will try and not talk about, like, what might be in Part 2, either from the... Mostly from the first movie because we're not you've not finished the book and I've not read the book so mm, no <laughs> so problem. just but yeah um but they do they do they do tease the worm raided in this and uh, we even get to see it a little tiny bit at the end like in I the know. distance but I I predicted like, that this movie would end with the worm riding and I was sort of right <laughs> so uh, I don't know if I want to give you it though because like because I think we both meant we both meant you know. Paul. We both meant Paul, yeah. like, jumping up and riding the worm. I, I almost hate that they showed that little glimpse at the end, because I think the tease of the other character, you know, the woman who, like, pulls yeah. out the hooks and she's going to do it, but then gets stabbed in the back, I thought, oh, that was, like, actually a really good little tease for the right. worm, because she was going yeah, to do I it. Yeah, I thought it was going to happen. Actually, I really love that in that scene, like, when you see her get stabbed, all you see is water come out, you don't see the blood, because all the moisture, her suit's been compromised. I thought mm. that was a really cool touch. Yeah, that's interesting. So, there, there are, there's, you know, there's little things that I do think are improvements to the first film. One of the things that I said that I loved, but wasn't used enough in the first movie, was their kind of goofy looking, but kind of fun shields, like, mm-hmm. sort of thing they had going. Um, and I was like, you know, they only really use it, after they introduce it in the training scene, they only really use it in one scene, the, the whole movie. Here, though, every ship has that and you see it kind of mm-hmm. like because because basically it'll flash blue when it's hit if it's blocked something but it'll flash red if something goes through it's penetrating uh, yeah. yeah and like we see it in multiple fights we see uh you know the people Baron. just do it instinctively to yeah. like protect themselves just because they think maybe something might be dangerous around them yeah Bar- Baron activates it at one point obviously the duke activates it the ships have it lots of fighters have it i think i, I do have still one complaint about it though is that is that it's not boxy enough? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I, I actually thought it looked alright. I, I, I thought they would yeah. go more slick with it. So I appreciate that it still had kind of like a, there was still like a sort of vibration kind of effect to it, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. Uh, even though I do love how good for those boxes looked in the first movie. <laughs> um, no, my complaint is actually that I like they set it up and they they had everyone using it. But I didn't feel like the fight scenes were choreographed in a way to actually feel different because of the rules. Because the rules of it are, like, if you try and stab someone or shoot someone with the shield, it won't go through because it's too quick. But if you push a blade in slowly, or you have a bullet that's designed to slow down before it goes in, it'll pass through. It's all about speed. And I felt like a lot of the fights, you know, when Jason Momoa is, like, just, you know, fighting with multiple dudes... I didn't feel like it was doing anything. I felt like it was just like a regular fight scene. It just, it just happened to be flashing I, red as he was I doing I agree it. with you, actually, because I, I looked for it in the second time, especially when I was watching it. Like, is he like, is he just pushing it slowly? Like once he's there. So because he's so strong, he's able to like push through it. Like they did cast somebody who is yeah. very muscular. So maybe that's what they're implying. I do love, though, in the ships. When like these really slow bombs are coming down, you're like, mm. well, what what are those? And then you realize they're bombs because they're penetrating the shields because they're going they're like they're like balloons that are just falling that, into it. That's slowly. the fun of it, is that it's a really yeah. simple rule that's very easy to understand. And mm. that's what that's what's really good in a movie, like a sci-fi movie or a horror movie. When you have a simple rule that your brain just gets immediately because it's like, okay, how can they mm-hmm. use this to make like something? And I, I like the use uh, of the color too it, when it turns red. 
in the, in that case you just pointed out like you know it's like that's different because they have to drop the bomb slowly so you have mm-hmm. this slightly different visual and it gives you this almost suspense of them dropping because it's kind of a sneak attack or uh, and yeah. part of the fun of this this potential in the fight scenes is like okay they're going to have to do this thing where they're going to have to slow down like they're going to have to be sneaky and quick until they get the, the try and land the blow that actually mm-hmm. is going to hit them and then slow down with that hand i just didn't feel like the choreography actually did anything different it was just no it's just a fight scene it's just yeah in the fight scenes i i mean i i agree we do watch um like a training scene with with uh with brolin and um and chalamet and paul together so they have that fight scene where we do see that like yeah if you're close enough you could probably just you know move the blade slower and be able to penetrate the shield so maybe that because they're fighting so close they're able to do that but it's not really I, I do agree that the choreography isn't really like portraying it enough to where i'm like following like but, is the rule just broken <laughs> or <laughs> yeah even if those technically... I, i'm like trying to justify it while i'm watching it rather than the movie showing that, it to me but that's the problem though if you haven't to justify it then the, the 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 point of the matter is is that it's not having an effect on how the fight scene is portrayed mm-hmm. so okay maybe you could explain it and say ah technically it's working because of this this or that but it doesn't matter the point is is that you're not seeing anything different in how it plays out because of the the technology or the rule you're just seeing a fight scene that's normal right so i do love i, I do i also love the use of it in uh the scene where uh the duke gets the little uh, mosquito-like thing to the back because it, it's not penetrating the shield <laughs> So it's taking my cat's going crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's stuck in the back and it's an awkward spot that he can't reach. And you're like waiting for him to try to get it. And it's slowly like getting closer and closer before. I thought that was a really tense, effective use of that rule. Yeah, it was a similar thing uh, when someone tries to assassinate uh, Paul in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little, he doesn't have a shield. Yeah, the little drone thing. Yeah, where it's just kind of slowly coming up to him. Which tells me that like, they don't know if they've got a shield or not, so they just do it anyway. There's like, mm-hmm. And then they find like, the drone operator, he's like hidden in a wall. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have to be close by, they don't have long range on these things. Right. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Uh, nah, I, that stuff's... So, so I, I appreciate the, the, the greater use of the shield, but I didn't think it was actually utilised in an interesting way in the, the fight scenes itself so yeah with the exception of like the like seeing the obvious like the bombs and stuff uh, i think was really cool like it's a really that's an obvious use of their technology to try to change and adapt to the new technology that's introduced in the film for well, us for I, I think the other benefit I had is at one point when jason momoa like you know like after the big attack where he grabs the the i mean i'll, I'll call it a helicopter but i mean it's got more of like a dragonfly looking thing yeah but he, he grabs uh, a, they're called a a thopter I thought like chopper with a th get to the thopper <laughs> um but he jumps in the thopper and like he gets hit with a bomb that's not going slow though so he just kind of flashes blue but it but it's still like an impact so it still knocks him off to the side mm-hmm. so it created this thing where you you get this sort of clearly recognizable visual of things happening to them when they're trying to like you know dodge things or get hit by things and are they okay or not it's almost a little bit video gamey because mm-hmm. if you think of a video game, you usually have these color indicators to show you if something's happened. Your health bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, was, a, it was an interesting uh, I, You know, the scene where mechanic. I did think of a video game was the the use of the spice crawler thing to pick up. 
and then it pans out and then we see the drone come in and like try to remove the, the crawler because the sandworms coming that scene to me was like I could play this video game like you have to try to <laughs> collect all the spice you can before the worms arrive and then like coordinate all your drones to pick up the machine before the it gets swallowed up oh you like, want to be a fun game you want the dune like i was thinking like this is a starcraft game. version of this yeah <laughs> okay. okay i definitely would play that <laughs> yeah um so I mean, obviously mentioned the visuals and stuff. I mean, I, I talk about uh, the, so the thing that I liked about the so I, I, you know I, after a while I was starting to like lose interest in the dreams of the future stuff with Paul. The one thing I did like though is that we get proof by the end that they're not necessarily true. That there's like mm-hmm. a there's at the very yeah. least a divergent path that could lead away from what the dreams are. Uh, because one of the dreams that he has is uh, befriending this this Fremen who and and the dream is saying. You're going to, you know, lead us and be great, do great things, or something to that effect. I can't remember the exact lines, but it was very much like he seemed I'm, to be some sort of yeah. a mentor to him, Me- mentor and kind of in a support of him, like almost like if he is a messiah, this is like one of his first disciples kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but then when we actually get to the Fremen at the end of the movie, this guy's like, no, I don't trust these outsiders. Uh, I, I, and you're trying to help them, uh, Javier Bardem. So I, I challenge, I invoke this dual thing that we have, and. <laughs> Uh, Paul's like, okay, I guess I'm fighting you then. And I was, but expect- it's a duel to the death, yeah, yeah. But I, I was, you know, but even at this point, I've been thinking, okay, somehow they're not going he's to. He's going to Kirk his way yeah. out of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> That's the way I put it. I thought somehow they're going to get to a point where this doesn't end in death, and they're going to like he's going to earn his respect or something. Yeah. Um. But instead, no, he has to kill him, and it's kind of this like stark realization that those dreams aren't for sure. They aren't this yeah. like guaranteed prophecy or anything like that um even though he has you know he has dreamed of this person he, ha- he has dreamed of zendaya uh, and he's you know thought of these things but this was a it was like okay this instantly made every single time he dreamt more interesting because one right. of them turned out to be completely false well we know that the spice can cause it's a hallucinogenic so it can cause visions and his visions although like these people really exist we don't exactly know like we've been told that they're prophecies but we've also been told that the prophecy is sort of made up so we don't really know what to trust in them yeah and especially of, by the end the end like really pulls the rug out from you like oh i guess we just can't trust the prophecies now yeah it's kind of a mass hallucination brought on by like you know it's, it's, it's almost like by eugenics <laughs> oh well, really? by eugenics but i, I was going to say more, more just in the sense of the the idea that religion itself is this construct that's made up and mm-hmm. this like prophecy and everything about the chosen one and all that is all nonsense but because they've all been breathing in space well they've been told all this all this time <laughs> you know yeah. they, they get they get to this point where they they thoroughly be- believe this um like th- there's some interesting dynamics there although it is worth mentioning that paul did dream of at least zendaya before he ever came to arrakis so some of them are spaceless right visions right and he did dream of uh the guy that he kills before he met he met him but not the conversation where they were like friends and stuff though right that, that was later in the movie uh, that was later. That was as he was approaching the Fremen. Like yeah, when so they were crossing so the already, desert. They'd already spent like a night in the desert by that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So not spice induced. But we don't really know what the effect of this spice is. It could be like playing with 
because uh, I think the reason the Bene Gennesaret want to have the uh, Quisach Haderach is that he his mind can be unlocked with the assistance of drugs <laughs> in order to like travel through time and space. So I think maybe this could be like a future thing reaching back to him because he is in the space and eventually. Oh, so yes, I'm sending himself messages back in time. Right. Kind of a thing. I don't know for sure. But that's I, either what I'm consciously guessing. or subconsciously or, you know, may yeah, not even be That's my speculation. Anyway, <laughs> won't okay. be the first uh, Villeneuve sci-fi film to sort of tap into that. I would not, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I... That, that 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 one detail at the end made it more interesting because up until that point I was just kind of like eh. because mm-hmm. I mean that first movie definitely was just he is the chosen one oh look he's become the chosen one oh he's one and everybody says he's the chosen one yay we're done <laughs> movie over there was there was no no like <laughs> here's some know, worms riding <laughs> no real obstacle in his path uh you know once things got going so uh, the Harkonnen pl- definitely feel like way more of a threat in this one. Well, they actually keep changing. I mean, that's part of what they, you know is different from the the first movies. That there's a whole section where they know they're like the mother and son are alive, and they're chasing after them in the desert. And it's not until they chase them into a storm after, because Jason Momoa's character in the the first movie, he died earlier. He died back at the attack mm-hmm. on the on the the palace or whatever you call it. Uh, whereas here, he actually survives and sort of connects them with one of the Fremen, who also dies that woman, but. Uh, his big sacrifice comes because I was like, "Oh, is he going to survive till the second part? Is he meant to like be a like a main character?" And he's like, "No, he dies just a little bit later. It's, it's still a <laughs> sacrifice. It's just, it's just a little bit later." Uh, but you know, he goes out, you know, by taking on like it's it's, it's not the uh, the Harkonnens. It's it's the Emperor's super special army that he sent in right. with them. But uh, the Harkonnens, we know why they're working with them now because it's way it's established so much better in this film where it's like. They've been here for 80 years and they've had the most valuable product in the universe that everyone wants. So the Harkonnens are insanely rich, even more rich than the Emperor. So they can just buy whatever they want, like an army now, like the best army. Yeah. And of course, the Empress is all a ruse, like this whole given the Atreides family, Arrakis is just so they can be attacked. So it's all just a deal he's made with um, with Harkonnen. Uh, the, yeah, the Emperor is afraid of the Ar- the um, Atreides family. Yeah. Because uh, he sees them as, as possible change. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, Dune itself, like, it was written and right in the middle of the Cold War where the entire planet was, like, about these two sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this and this is about two families. Uh, and then, obviously, all of the allusions to the Middle East and oil. You know, oil, yeah. Yeah, with, <laughs> with, the, with the space. There's a lot of, like, real-world things you can start to kind of, like, you know, not necessarily one to one, but certainly see where a lot of the inspiration and themes are are coming from. Right. Uh, and that's well, in even the in the book, well. like the they use the word jihad all the time. Uh, they notably did not do that in the movie. I think that maybe be too on the. A little bit too much. Too much, yeah, <laughs> a little bit too much. Uh, but you still felt the influence, though. You still felt the influence of some of the words that were still being used. You still felt mm-hmm. you felt the influence, and you know, I think even the the. The, the planet of Arrakis is somewhat inspired by the, the look of the deserts in, in the Middle East. Like, that's kind of part of the idea. Oh, I'm um, sure, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. And the idea that our heroes, like the, the one... And I like that this movie, more so than the first movie, really gets this across, is that uh, the Duke, you know, wants to gain the trust of the, the Fremen, not to double-cross them, but to actually form, like, a a happy alliance that can last forever like actually improve power 
improve <laughs> things for everyone for, right. you know because if that happens, then, you know, the Harkonnens in their way. But of course, this is the, the old ways, like fighting back because they don't want to be made redundant. They want to stay in power. They want to, you know, and that, that goes for both the Harkonnens and the Emperor. Everything both of them are doing is about being the ones on top. I mean, Harkonnens' whole thing is that he wants to just end the Atreides bloodline. He wants it done. Uh, yeah. So. And the, I mean, we, we sort of find out in this film, too, that the Bene Gesserits are actually the ones who are in control of everything. Because they've been planting the seed of the prophecy for centuries and doing all this eugenics to try to create somebody who can represent the prophecy in order to use as needed. Yeah. And uh, that is... But dare I... And there, I think there's a, there's a scene between Paul and his mother and Jessica about like, you know, the Bene Gesserits are not exactly what you think. Like, yeah, we are... We are like the right hand of all the the emperor and all the powerful people, but um, our main deal is politics. Like they're the ones who are actually in control of things. They're manipulating things from yeah from behind. And they have a they have a serious long game that they're playing. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't like they they want Paul alive. They they see value in his existence, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure him becoming this chosen one that actually achieves what the prophecies that what the fremen think he's going to achieve is not well, actually their end game necessarily right the lady jessica did not have permission to give birth to a son she was supposed to give birth to a daughter because they've been playing this eugenics thing they're like no it's not time it's not the right time to have a son you're supposed to give us a Benny jesuit daughter and but she says she's does it she's done it for love because she loves she loves the Duke, and he wanted a and son in the air. That, that's one of those things where if that was, like, emphasized a little bit more, the idea that Paul is different from what the Bene Gesserit wanted the Haderach to be, because mm-hmm. he, did co- he, he did come from love and not just a planned thing. Like, that that's the ingredient. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit sappy, I know, but... Well, I still don't yeah. even know if it's true. Like, I don't know if if Jessica is being well, completely honest Okay, that, 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 that's just assume it is true from, from, from the point I want to make here. Is that sure. If if he did come from love, as sappy as it may be, if that's the ingredient that meant that he wasn't just going to go along with their programming and do exactly what they'd been planning for all this time. But, you know, mm-hmm. th- th- this story clearly is about uh, control. It's about uh, d- different, you know, pow- you know, big powers who are trying to, like, gain control um, about who's right and wrong in that. And it, there's, there's a lot of these themes that are in here, and it's very much there. You can... You can see why the book had an impact. You can see why it's lasted, um, and it's still relevant. If, if arguably, it's even more relevant <laughs> in, in modern times. I mean, yeah, than it was it's in very anti-imperial, anti-religion. Uh, in a way, it's like the anti-hero's journey. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> because it's all phony. <laughs> in a lot of ways, but the funny thing is, is that Paul's character journey, from at least the version I've experienced, is so kind of bland, and we've seen so many chosen ones throughout, you know, nerd culture and films and media over the last fifty years that it's uh, like I, I guess I guess I'll put it this way: it's lacking a bit of space. <laughs> okay, interesting. It's, okay. Lack, it's lacking some space. <laughs> well, I mean, I, so many things have been influenced by by frank herbert's book so no, like, that's true how much um I, it hey. could just be suffering that we've had so many chosen one stories that were burnt out on them so you have to do something new and maybe villeneuve's first chapter here isn't new enough for you 
That's entirely. I mean, hey, that is a you know an unfortunate position to be in. Apparently, you know, John Carter influenced so much science fiction, but you know, when that John Carter movie came out, it looked the blandest <laughs> thing that I'd ever seen. I didn't. I didn't want... hate it. I, I kind of liked it. I, th- I know. I don't understand what all the hate was I'll, about. I'll honestly. be honest. I'm not sure. I think I saw it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, we'll we'll review it one day. Awesome. It's probably awesome. like a five, but. I don't think yeah, it, would be it wasn't a trash the worst thing ever, but it, it, but yeah, it was like it was it was thoroughly in that middle range, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's like one of those problems where like everything that's in it is like been done in other things that are more successful and by and large better in a lot of ways, right? I, I, a lot of these, and I'm not I'm not saying this specifically about Dune. I'm not saying other things have done Dune better than Dune. I'm not saying that at all because I don't I don't think it necessarily has. I think mm-hmm. Dune's specific thing because Dune's world is very fast. I think Dune's world is more fascinating than any of the characters in it and i think fundamentally that's why it doesn't appeal to me maybe quite as much as other science fiction because most of the best science fiction i think also has great characters that you know work for me um mm-hmm. you know you know we, we've been reviewing babylon 5 and you know like yeah there's this great mythology and there's all these things going on but what makes it really work is that i really care about a big cast of characters who are in the middle of the show in a big cast, you know, one would do. <laughs> like, really, that's all it takes is one to really root for. But, I'll, you know, I'll take more than one if, if they're going. Um, you know, that's, and that's just the Because we just talked about an episode before we did this, which is why it's the first thing that came to mind. But yeah, there's other examples, right? There's, there's other... Mm-hmm. These big things where there's all these things going on. Like, I, I need character. I need characters at the center of it that I... I really care. And it feels, it, it, and you can tell this is based on a book. You can tell it comes from a book. And it's not, not, not that books don't have good characters, because many of them clearly do. But in the sense that it feels so rich with its mythology, and it's so dense in that sense, that the characters, but compared to it, feel really, like, simple. Or at least feel really derivative. And even though, technically speaking, I know that this came maybe before a lot of other science fiction characters, and therefore... It's not its fault that it feels that way, but it does. <laughs> so, yes, that's my analysis. I don't want to shit on it too much because I don't think it's a bad movie. I actually think there's a lot of good things about it. But yeah, but I'm 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 not glowing with praise and ready to like bow down before the altar of Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I mean, I I just I'm very excited about the prospects of uh this just being a movie series. <laughs> Honestly, because I just, I do love the big epic feel of it. It feels very, it feels very Lord of the Rings. Although Lord of the Rings had a lot of characters that, you know, had a lot of different personalities and they were easy hmm. to latch on to. This one has, uh, you know, like, I think Duncan Idaho is pretty likable guy. <laughs> I was a little worried when he was originally cast because I'm not like the biggest Jason Momoa fan, but like, he is really likable in this film, and it's easy to see why why Paul is just like, let me be around you all the time. He's okay. Uh, I mean, I don't think you see enough of him to really get get that likable. Uh, I thought him. he was a scene stealer, honestly. But <laughs> I, th- I thought he was just being Jason Momoa. I don't know. I never got much from him. Well, he was just he had so much energy and excitement about being in a new place and about learning about new people, and he still has this real intense intensity about him that I recognize from Game of Thrones. And I think uh, that was the right kind of um, balance. And like, it brought a lot out of Paul also when he saw him. We're like, okay, he's fun. (laughs) That's nice to have. Um, 
And yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, like, even the, the opening of it, like felt very 2001 when like the, there's a little bit of a monolith theme that I, you can hear when they were first the, going into space. On the space stuff, I actually thought a lot of the shots in space reminded me of Alien. The way the, uh, hmm. the way the, the ships or whatever were moving made me think of that classic model. I guess it works for 2001 as well, but because they're more alien in design, it made me think of Alien more. And maybe it was the hmm. music as well, because it was more like a, like a hum kind of thing. It was more yeah. of a subtle thing. Right. It, well, it was giving me, like, it was reminding me of other very big epic science fiction films and so i just i'm so glad to have something like this you know in the theater and i'm i just want i want more obviously i want part two and i want other books to be adapted if possible but like i just i'm so grateful to have something with this high of budget and taken so seriously and so lovingly that i just i yeah maybe that's why i'm singing so much hey. of its praises but like this higher budget may be why you may not get all the movies that the villain wants to do. <laughs> Just please give me part two. That's <laughs> I guess that's all I can ask for right now. But I mean, I mean I, they it, gave it to him even after Blade Runner was, you know, it's not had, financially successful. It's had the best opening weekend for Warner Brothers so far this year, which isn't necessarily saying much because it's been a weird year because obviously we're still in pandemic times. But And they put it out on HBO at the same day. Yeah. So it's, I mean, honestly, how you judge success of movie opening weekends this year, I don't know, because they're, they're, they're so weird, because they're split up between multiple things, and like it's just it's hard right. to judge, right? I, it's impossible. But uh, I suspect you'll get part two. I, I don't know if part three is in the bag. I think part three is the like. I think how many people go back to see part two to see what it's like, because uh, they they care about the conclusion. I think if part two doesn't do better than part one you probably won't get a part three because they'll probably they'll probably expecting because of the time this was released in and because of the weirdness of also <laughs> having it on hbo max i think they will expect that part two should easily do better than part one when it's released in theaters by the time it comes out which well, by the way will be at least like two or three years from now and yeah. if it doesn't then they're probably going to see that as well okay we'll, we'll, we'll sort of like cut our losses here we'll say we've broke even more or less and just kind of move on with our lives I was surprised this morning because I went to a very early show. I went and saw it at 11.40, which is really early for a, a film. Like, usually you just get senior citizens and, like, very young children. And there really weren't that many of them there, this one. This one, like, had full families and groups of friends and stuff going to see the film. And the chatter, like, the scuttlebutt coming out of the movie is, like, everybody was really happy with it. Um, I went to use the restroom and, like, this girl is maybe like a little bit younger than me was with another girl. And they're like, I think that might be my top 10, like of all time, <laughs> just films, which I was really surprised about. Like I shouldn't be surprised, but I was just like, wow, people really like good movies. It's nice to hear. <laughs> it's just like, it was just so big and beautiful and epic. And I'm like, yeah, I should be friends with these people. The, the visuals are <laughs> stunning. I ain't going to complain about the visuals um, yeah. or the music. But, uh, I don't know. So the scuttlebutt seems to be good. But that's the weird thing, though. You, you, you've, you, know, you even said it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, and I love Lord of the Rings so much. It's why, why don't I love this? Well, <laughs> you are. I mean, I don't really know why you don't like Lord of the Rings, other than like just a general disdain for fantasy. But oh, witches and vampires—they're fine. But 
<laughs> They're different. Horror, horror, horror fantasy is different. Yeah, okay. Um. Anyway, there's... um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, Lord of the Rings... It reminds me of Lord of the Rings in the scale sure. of things. Of, like, the long storytelling, the big world building, the, the, the journey of these characters that's going to take multiple movies to tell and that's what i'm really excited for like an event film that's not a marvel movie <laughs> oh you'd have to, to say that twice to me i i am like i i i have not seen shang chi yet i i'm not going to see eternals till it's at home which by the way i mean it's not that low an rt score but eternals is like the lowest marvel score in a while <laughs> oh really people are freaking out about it because it's only at 72 percent at the time it's of recording a, it's a long film too Oh, that makes me not want to watch it. <laughs> I'm going opening night. Got my ticket already. Uh, I, that's, I don't care. I'm so sick of most of these Marvel movies at this point. I mean, I'll see them eventually when I, I can do them easily. I'm, I'm so invested in this show, though, right? Like, it's been going on for 10 years. I'm going to watch each episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was the same with... Because um, I'm doing, like, a, a spin-off of Division about Agatha... And I'm like, I don't yeah. need, I don't need to watch that. Like that's just a, st- I, 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 this was a step too far. But that's horror fantasy, you like that stuff. Yeah, but I thought her character was kind of weak. Yeah. So well, <laughs> I don't like her that much. Maybe they'll bring it out a bit more in the show. <laughs> well, I, well, I liked her for a decent amount of the show, but when it got to the last chunk, when things were revealed, I wasn't as into it. I will say the the trailers for Eternal have not been good. No. <laughs> No, it just so, looks a little dull. I, I have to say, I'm having a really bad year for movies. I've seen like nearly forty movies from 2021, and I don't have a top ten. Like I've not seen anything that I would put in my top ten yet that I would Ooh, love. I'm going to take a quick peek while you talk about Dune and stuff. I mean, I, I guess I mean Dune would be there by default right now, but I don't know if I like it enough that it would be in my top ten. If if I had like enough to pick from that I really liked. Well, that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of sucks. I'm having a kind of a miserable year for 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 new movies. Let me see. I think I'm I think I'm doing all right with new movies. And and, and there's a few things I know I need to see. I need to see Pig. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've heard good things about Pig. Oh, Luca and Raya were really good, and I like the new James Bond. Mm. Suicide Squad was pretty fun. Suicide Squad's probably my number one right now, but it's not, I mean, that's, like, I don't mind that being in the top ten, but that shouldn't, that, that should not be number one. Like, I, like, if I go back to, like, 2019, look at my top ten, like, Suicide Squad ain't making the top five, easily. Yeah. Is that why you don't like Dune? Is because there wasn't a big sky beam battle at the end of it? Ah, uh, shut <laughs> up. You know I hate that. You know I'm so sick of that shit. That's what I fully expect from Eternals also, is that I'll enjoy the first two thirds a lot, and then the last third I'll be like, well, here's the Marvel. Yeah. I mean, Black Widow was kind of flawed before that point, but that was the same thing, where you get to that third act, it's like, oh, now it's just turned into a generic Marvel movie. If you yeah. were liking stuff from before this, you, it's just all went out the window now. Mm-hmm. I did like, I like the movie, though. Mm. Yeah, Dune's definitely uh, number one so far on my list. <laughs> It's, it's probably by default straight to number two. I probably had a little bit more fun with the Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. but... Um, Actually, my number one right now for 2021 is a uh, a short film with Taika Waititi in it called Save Ralph. 
I recommend everyone watch it. I mean, given how that I don't even have a top 10 and it's October, uh, I doubt we'll do top 10s for the year uh, when the time comes. But if we do, you know, short films don't count. <laughs> if we do official ones. I make my own rules. <laughs> I make rules. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, we've, we've kind of uh, diverged off. Do you, know what, do you know what I think it is? I think we spoke so much about the concepts of Dune in the last movie. <laughs> that I feel like we don't have much left to say about this one. I mean, we don't have to go like through the film because because plot the, by plot because uh, because the, the I mean the plot's not changed the plot's still the same. Is <laughs> is the well? It, I mean, there are some changes, and it ends before it ends when Paul meets the Fremen, basically. Yes, which is a good two thirds into that first movie. So clearly, the last third, which I mean, I tell you, when we watched which that, we is said the part that is like. Yeah on you know fast forward when you're watching it but th- this movie's two and a half hours long i could have easily I-, I think i could easily cut 20 minutes out of this to get it down to closer to two hours and it'd have been a tighter film i wouldn't have wanted a two-hour version i want a three-hour version give me the four-hour <sighs> version i know it's out there oh my god no 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 um i think i was into the majesty and the visuals for up until the, the place is attacked and you have all the big action stuff once we get out into the desert though and we have this like thing where they have to meet the woman first and like get their suit because they don't have just they don't just have suits on them this time like the david lynch mm-hmm. movie they have to go to uh the woman uh jason Momoa takes them there and then he has to like sacrifice himself and they have to get away in the ship and the action scene with them in the ship with uh Shamal- chalamet fought lying the ship was was mm-hmm. fine like you know it's a decent little action scene um and then they're like you know creeping about in the sand and they spend the night in a tent i think before that and then yeah then eventually they sort of see signs that there's the framing nearby. Whereas in the David Lynch movie, as soon as they crash from the, like getting out of the, the, the city area of the planet, they immediately run into the, the framing, right? It's, it's almost right away. Right, so, yeah. There's no like crossing the desert. And <laughs> honestly, most of that stuff, like I don't necessarily feel like it needs to be there. <laughs> it, 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 like I get that it's in the book, but in the movie, I'm just like, I mean, I don't know if it added, like, it's better, once we got to, I mean, other on, other on the, the vision that he has at one, because it's during that section, I think, that he has the vision of the guy being friends with him. But all, yeah, all, all during that, that. Yeah, but other than that, like, most of the stuff that was there, you could have probably just cut, and it wouldn't have mattered that much. Well, I mean, <gasps> escaping and, you know, seeing characters go and sacrifice themselves were, you know, I guess, sort of important, and... The, the scene in the tent, I really yeah, enjoyed but, uh, with yeah, but, him and his mother. But if you cut that, you just have him sacrifice himself at the palace earlier, like the, the, the David Lynch movie did. Just do, just have him do it earlier. Easy. Sure, but we get the great scene with the with the uh, ecologist or whoever she was. I can't remember her name. Kine or something? She, she, she's the Max von Sydow character in this one. Yeah, she's Max von Sydow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we get her, her great sacrifice. Uh, we get like this uh, more world building of like humans came here originally to uh try to change the ecology of the planet in order to make it more you know habitable and hospitable and there was they were making some huge strides in it but then they found the spice and all of a sudden nobody wanted it to change anymore now it must remain a desert and we must harvest the spice that was the only thing that mattered and they do mention at one point that uh, there is water like deep underneath right they they mentioned that once or twice Right, right. That was uh, that was in that scene also where we get this great visual of these um, abandoned like 
plants for um for for studying just the 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 system the 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 way the this planet works and stuff like that and um yeah and we get her great sacrifice scene also where she's about to ride a worm i mean that's less of a sacrifice and more just she gets stabbed in the back from behind she's not really she's well not, she she's not she tells them like how to get away and they have the well, easy yeah, way out and jason, she takes the no, longer but jason way Momoa actually sacrifices himself he actually intentionally like goes in knowing he's going to die and like shuts the door yeah. and so i've got, I got smiles goodbye at timothy and he's like yeah I'm going to go and live your life, Timothy. I'm, he I'm takes out to... like a dozen of them. <laughs> right? Where she's just like thinking she's going to meet them later. She pulls out her hooks and she's like ready to go. It's like, okay, it's warm. I know. Time, what baby. a tease, right? <laughs> and then she gets stabbed in the back and that's just, that's her. So done. She's dead. Yeah. And then she does, well, she does do her great prayer because they're, she's not, she's not native to the planet, but she's mm. become like part of them and she, I love like the the religion that they have around the sandworms. Like their 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 god is the everything about their culture is surrounding the the sandworm. Like the the, the yeah. knives that they use are just the teeth of the of the different worms. And they do have a lot of teeth. And we should mention the visual of the sandworms because they obviously you see kind of the mouth of it when it comes up to get the. Cause, you know, it's the same scene that's in the the first movie, which is the mm-hmm. saving the few workers. Uh, they made more of a scene out of it this time. It's a bit more actiony, but you see the and sort Paul of, has more. You see the do. sort of the rim of the mouth and the teeth, but you don't necessarily get a good look at the worm itself. And then you see a little glimpse of it because when the the woman dies, she puts the thumper down. And like you know, the she basically she she kills all the guys that killed her by doing that. She just starts stopping. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's great. But then um, we don't get a, a proper good look at it until that big shot where they're running to the frame and they're running to the rock, and it it's just like tremors, right? They're running for the rock because the the big tremor, the big graboid is yeah. going to get them, <laughs> and they get to the rock and there's this big city where. Chalamet just gets there just in time so the it turns around and it's just this big giant worm in the mouth looking at him um it, i think it communicates with him it, it yeah, starts yeah. to like thump back at him yeah and, and then there's like a thumper like one of the fremen like sets off a thumper nearby to mm-hmm. make it distract and move away and whatever so uh, but it, it's a really great visual that, that moment where you see it properly for the first time yeah the worms look awesome i love the the teeth i i really love the way that the world interacts around the worm like everything the sand sort of turns to water you see the rippling you feel the danger people are running and then all of a sudden they start sinking you know it's uh it, it feels very dangerous and very very cool mm. I, I, yeah i like it a lot <laughs> Um, you know, one other thing, I don't know if you want to keep talking about the worms or not, but another thing I want to talk about before we pass, before we finish, um, the, the, the thing that I really felt was like, what is going on is the Harkonnen scene with the, like the, the, I don't remember her name, but she's like the, the queen of the Benny Chesarets or whatever. She's with, uh with baron and and piter and talking about like get your pet out of here <laughs> because i think your pet can understand what we're saying and we need silence They're like oh no it's just our pet like it doesn't understand you and we see this spider thing and it's eating out of a bowl and it's giant and but when it goes like cl- on a closer shot of it it's got human hands 
And so it's like it's a human that's been turned into like a spider thing. And it's also uh, like not intelligent anymore. So and it, it, it made me think of the scene with the doctor who does betray uh, the Atreides family for the Baron because he says they the Harkonnens have my wife and they've taken her apart. <laughs> so are they doing like human experiments and stuff and creating these weird creatures for their own like enjoyment it was very i want to see more of the creatures that they've made what else is behind the curtain anyway that spider thing got my brain going i see more on the next one yeah. yeah but i think it's like a human that's been turned into a spider it's like a human centipede thing Whoa, 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 human setup is a very different thing. <laughs> That's multiple humans. But this is just what they do. They just create creatures out of humans. Got to have a hobby when you're you're a bored baron who you know he can't eat all the time. Yeah, eats a lot of the time. Right. So I mean, that's what I really liked about the Harkonnens in this one. I mean, yeah, they were gross, but like. The, the thing that really intrigued me is like their experiments that they're doing on people. Hmm. I, I never got a sense that we had a character who was like the uh the sting. You know, the one no, who's going in it. Yeah, the one who's going to fight. There's no there's Paul no the fade Ralph yeah. though. It's uh I thought maybe uh Bautista was, but uh no, he's the no, uh, he's, he's the nephew the beast. Yeah. The nephew. Yeah, he, he's the nephew character from the, the other movie, yeah. Um I don't know. That's weird. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it boils down to great visuals, great sound, great music, great technical qualities, uh, an interesting world and interesting themes that it's playing with. But the characters, now that this is just a straight, like, serious adaptation, uh, Paul especially, but I, I think, you know, it kind of, a little bit is true for the ensemble is the characters are a little bit bland and dull for me. Uh... Which is a shame, because I want to love this. I really do. Hmm. But I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't, want to, I don't want to kill your mood and kill your buzz, because you're, uh, you're over the I was prepared for this. I mean, on the upside, you know me well enough that you, you, you called my reaction, like, to a T. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you'd have been happy if I'd surprised you uh, with a positive. Opinion. I mean, the, the opposite could have been true. I, I could have come in here and said, oh, my God, this is just as bad as Halloween Kills. And that would have been a statement. That would have been maybe a deal breaker for our <laughs> podcast. That would have, have been over. <laughs> like, maybe he doesn't know movies like I thought he did. Harkonnen dies tonight. Harkonnen dies tonight. <laughs> Oh god, that movie's so bad. Um, <laughs> all right, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything else you? Uh, I really wanted to talk about the human spider. That was that was it. You didn't have much to say though. So, I mean, it's, it was an okay all. design. No, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I guess the biggest, most damning thing I can say is that the longer it went on, kind of the less like engrossed i was in the last like you know like for the first like hour i think i was like really into it and just sort of like being in the world the visuals mm -hmm. learning 
I mean, not learning because I kind of knew a lot of it from the previous movie, but like just being engrossed in the spectacle of it all. But two and a half hours is a long time. So the longer that goes on, if I'm not, if, if I, at a certain point I'm not starting to really be into the characters themselves, that's when you start to kind of wane a little bit. And it was kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit long in the tooth for me in that last like 48 minutes or so. Where mm-hmm. I was like, ah, I feel this could probably be trimmed down a little bit. Uh, and then you have that final scene, which I think the final scene is actively kind of bad because it is very much like, you know, they're walking uh, on the sand and they're they're carrying the body of the guy that, that Paul had to kill. Um, and Zendaya kind of turns around and just kind of says like, yeah, look at it. And he's like, yeah, the power of the desert. Because he sees someone riding the worm off in the distance. Oh, desert power. It's like, yeah, desert power. And you will harness it. That is the prophecy. See you in part two, directed by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I think it was more like, uh, this is only the beginning, and then, yeah. Uh, that's a, what it means, though. smile, yeah. That's what it means. It, it was like a wink to the camera, almost, of like, see you part two. <laughs> they, they may as well have done the, you know, the end of Back to the Future, where it comes up saying to be continued with a theme like, da 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 well i mean <laughs> we know it's gonna happen because it's not called dune it's called dune part one do you know what i i would have i i well yeah I'm not, I'm not critiquing that it is a part one i'm critiquing just how blatant this scene was it trying to give it like a like a comeback for part two vibe because they didn't have like a proper like cliffhanger ending to leave it on so i would do you know what I, I whatever score i'm going to give it i would have given it like two extra points if the Back to the Future theme kicked in and it came up See, in the font I saying to be continued, seriously. I would have given it two extra points. Well, I I would have given it an extra point if when we saw someone riding the sandworm that there was an electric guitar, but I didn't hear an electric guitar, so... Mm, that's true. You know what? As much as I think this, this score is very suited to the film and it, it works with it, I don't know if I like any of the music as much as I like that main guitar theme when he's riding the worm <laughs> in the first that movie. Scene, that, well, that scene, like, um, it's probably, like, top ten of all time for any <laughs> film. <laughs> that was just such a good scene. Yeah. Especially when he has, like, the people behind him also, and they're all just riding the worm together. It's so good. It's so cheesy. Anyway... Yeah, good, um, good luck next movie having like shots of Paul. Like, I mean, it's one thing seeing one person ride the worm off in the distance. It's going to be another thing having Paul like, up close and like him having to go up to the worm. And like, I trust Denis Villeneuve yeah, we'll to, see. to make it work, to we'll make see. it epic, to make it fit the the film. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. the The ending is very slow. Like it's a, it's a, the movie is. It, I wouldn't say it's very like a very fast paced movie, but most of the action happens in the middle and then it's slow in the beginning and slow in the end. So, which is unusual for, you know, how you tell stories in cinema, but because it is part of this epic story that's going to keep going, like, I definitely don't mind it. The, the, the ending of the film is that he kills Paul Atreides and he rises as the Muad'Dim that's like his ending is that you know, those are the visions he was having with the bloody hand and the blade and stuff. Is, yeah, d- and then someone even says in his dream, like Paul has to die. Yeah. I don't know if they made that. Did they actually call him that at the end though? Till it really sort of confirmed that that transition had happened. Uh, I 
think it's just sort of implied because nobody takes him seriously as the prophecy. But then once he is able to to do the thing, like everyone just kind of looks at him like, differently. Like, like oh, maybe oh, he is. Like things are starting to add oh, up here. Obviously, the ending. You know, the big character be is him going through with this and like realizing these prophecies can be false and mm-hmm. um like being accepted or just in, manipulated and being but accepted. He, he into, can do it. Mm-hmm. But being accepted into the Fremen is kind of your your dramatic ending beat, and that's the best you can get because I I don't know if the movie actually like unless you've like read the book or or have seen the other movie and know that that transition is going to happen. I don't know if this movie makes it clear that there's actually kind of like a, a not another persona, but like a new title that he's going to take, and that that's <laughs> that's happened at the end of this movie. I don't think I don't think I got that from the ending of it, but maybe they'll make it clear at the start of the next one that now he's more deep, but. I, I don't know if I got that on, on from this on its own. Okay, I like all the all the little acting moments of, like where he's acting like, like just, you know, a young royal kid or whatever. I want to say kid, but you, you know, he's supposed to be like fifteen or something. And, but every now and then there will be a change in his character, and somebody recognizes it, and they go, "Oh crap!" Like, is he? doing the thing they that's gonna everyone says he's gonna do like it just 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 little thing little things that happen throughout the entirety of the film where people have a sudden change if you're wait, not wait, supposed wait. to be able to do that yet oh you mean like the dead eight voice that happens when he uses the voice oh i like the voice did you <laughs> uh uh i thought it was good i mean it's actually quite similar to the one in uh in the lynch film where it's just like layers I, of yeah I people had no, i had no problem with it necessarily it was fine when he uses actually, in the tent, like both times, it generally like scared me a bit. I think the first time we hear it used properly, though, which is where it goes silent first, I thought was more effective. Like mm-hmm. I, I almost wanted, uh, I don't know, like I, I don't know, because there's there's a scene when uh when the the Bene Gesserit woman goes to see her Conan at one point, and they have that like sort of like sound bubble they put down, so it's yeah, pri- that's private. Yeah, the spider scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought, do you know what? I actually think it's kind of interesting watching this play out in silence with subtitles and just yeah. sort of like getting it in, in silence. And I'm not saying I wanted subtitles for the voice and just have it be silent, but the first time they did it, they did this thing where it went silent at first and then the, the voice came kind of like really quickly and harshly after a moment of silence. And yeah. I felt that the rest of the movie, though, whenever it was used, it was a bit more just like, oh, there's just like a, you know, a voice effect over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than having this sort of delay thing that they did the first time. I thought that was... It, it felt more unique the first time, I guess is what I'm saying. And then it was fine after that, but... um, I, I definitely noticed it, like, in the, the first scene when he's asking his mother to pass the water. <laughs> and um, But the reason it's supposed to be silent like that, and then you just hear one layer of voice, which is supposed to be like the ancient Bene Gesserit women or something that he's able to harness their their voices and their power that's why it's always female voices that you hear except for i guess like before the warner brothers logo there's like a line that's on a black screen of like male voices that are seem to be layered up like that it's an easy thing to forget because it happens like before the Mm. warner brothers logo even pops up um so I guess that is sort of a tease for the future. That's all the that he, no, that's all the Warner Brothers producers whispering Villeneuve's ear. <laughs> We're gonna make so much money. <laughs> <laughs> Villeneuve is the spice. Um, yes, 
uh but but i like that so i guess because he only hears like one layer and it's delayed uh she's not really able to obey the command saying like uh, you're not ready yet or whatever but then you know I, I thought it did a good job of differentiating like the voices each time you hear it so the second time he does it was when they're in trouble on the 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 thopter <laughs> weird to say the thopter <laughs> and he's trying to use it against the guy and it doesn't work and you can tell because the voice doesn't come out correctly again versus when it does work. And then later on in the tent where it comes out in anger, it's very different also. And anyway, I liked it in the effect of the movie theater with the surround sound. It was, you know, bone chilling sometimes. It's good. All right. What do you want to should, read we, should we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah okay. Read it. <laughs> All right. I... <laughs> Well, obviously, I really like the movie. <laughs> I saw it twice um, on my free time when I when I had it two days in a row. So I am very much looking forward to the next one. And this was a really great appetizer. And I I can't wait for more. I, I am going to rate it pretty high. I, I love this director and I love um, his vision. And I, I think I'm going to love this story however it unfolds so right now i'm giving it a nine but i suspect it'll go up with more viewings and depending how the other movies play out yeah this is a tough one to rate to be honest for me because i i'm not in love with it like i don't you know i'm not like super engrossed in the characters uh but there's a lot of obviously obviously there's things that i do appreciate there's a lot of things that i think are great in the movie Kitty cat's pretty great. Yeah, can you hear him? No. No, he's par- he's powering. The mic's just good at not picking up extra things. So, um, your mic's just too good. Mic's just too good. Uh, so yeah, it's tough because it, it, it. I think by the end of the film, I felt just a little bit cold towards it because I just wasn't that invested in the characters. Uh, and their journey, and I think also because the 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 the, the two be continued, it's a bit of a like like I said right at the start of this, this was not designed to be split in two, so it's kind of just this awkward thing where it has to have a point where it goes, and this is the end of part one. <laughs> Come back for part two. I mean, it's split into three in the book. And well, maybe they should have used the cliffhanger from the end of part one in the book. Well, it the the end of part one is them in the tent together, and. He reveals some secrets about Lady Jessica mm. that are not revealed in the films, so I won't tell them now. I don't think that would uh, work as an ending to the movie either. I don't think honest. so either. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, I, I, I don't know where the better point to end it is. Maybe this is just one of those unfortunate things where there's no good answer to it, if you're going to have to split it up into two. Um, because I think it would be too early to end it right after, like, you know, the big... Because you, you could theoretically end it with them just getting away f- when they're you know tied up on the the thopter and they you know they, they were able to escape like you could because that's like right after the all the explosions straight after all the attack that feels like it could be the climax of a movie but it's probably too early in the story to make that mm-hmm. your end point so yeah it's, it's a tough decision i don't know where you put it but uh, that mixed with my my kind of just i don't know like apathy towards a lot of the, the characters uh, make this a tougher one to to kind of digest. So, I think I'm going to have to go. 
6.5. I knew it. You son of a <laughs> what, You knew 6.5? <laughs> you knew that's where it was? I thought I might. I bet he's gonna give it a six or a six point five. That's what I was doing. That was my 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 nose crunching. That's what that was. Do you know what? I, the sad truth <laughs> is, is this officially puts Villeneuve for me on more misses than hits. But I don't understand. I I don't. <laughs> he's so good. I don't like. He's a such lot an exciting filmmaker. I I want to love him because the the film community at large loves him. Like he basically has the same buzz that Nolan had for when Nolan was in his like first so decade better than nolan i disagree <laughs> I, I like nolan way more than villeneuve like yeah uh, nolan just makes except, standard except movies. dunkirk except dunkirk dunkirk oh that's uh, like his best one no that's easily his worst one but uh hey difference of opinions and all that that's part of the fun of this but i i just i don't know i i've, I've left like there's a lot of things i objectively see in these movies that i think are good and there's one or two of them that i do genuinely quite like in fact we're going to talk about one of them next week <laughs> but this is now between this blade runner although blade runner's problems largely come from the previous film and this film's problems if they are indeed problems which is up to you to decide if you you know to make complaints if that's just because of what the characters are in the book versus the the movie but could potentially the source materials problems so i mean you could debate if that's villeneuve's fault <laughs> in either case but I think between those two, I didn't really like Sicario. Um, <laughs> Prisoners. Pr- Prisoners, I, I remember liking. I, I mean, I wasn't like it wasn't my favorite of the year or anything, but I definitely like it more than those examples. I, I, I think he has a couple of other films that I haven't seen. They might I, be like French I saw, films. I, I saw Enemy, uh, which was one of his earlier films. I think that was the same year he did uh, Prisoners. Uh, and that was that was not bad that was not bad but i've never like i've never had quite funny enough the one we're doing next week arrival not to spoil my thoughts but that's easily my favorite villain of film so uh i'm curious to see, i've only seen it the once so i'll be curious to see how i feel about that next week when i watch it again all right <laughs> we'll see how that goes but i i just i don't know something about his films leaves me feeling a bit cold i just don't connect with these characters and it's because okay. And it's enough of a trend now that I can definitely look at his films and go, no, this is something that he does. This is something that's not working for me. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't, you don't need to apologize to me. I I feel like I have to. I feel, I feel like I've let you down. Like I'm disappointing you. So. Uh, I just don't give it. That's all. I... I <laughs> I, I wish it's all right go, there's good news uh when i was at the theater i saw there was a trailer for a new michael bay movie a new roland emmerich movie so you'll be fine and a new batman yay those first two that you <laughs> said there where's batman in my dune movie <laughs> I don't know. What about me says I always want Batman? I hated the last <laughs> version of Batman. <laughs> I'm just making fun of you. I, I can tell. Yes. 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 I like Villeneuve more than Michael Bay and more than Roland Emmerich. Okay. Did you need me to say it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, admittedly, would I rather watch Universal Soldier again than a lot of Villeneuve's films? That's technically true, <laughs> but 
<laughs> just that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that one. Uh, ah, we hope it did it on the show at some point. Uh, sci-fi. Maybe so. before the new Emmerich film comes out. Listen, you About have, the moon uh, crashing into oh, Earth. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. How, how could I forget? Roland Emmerich films just come and go and I don't even notice them. Like, yeah. It's like, he did like a 10 million BC or something like that and then he did like 2012 and he did... Uh, he didn't do Geostorm, right? That was no. just a, a, an lo- Emmerich adjacent it, film. It, it just looked like one of his, yes. But it, it was, he probably produced it. The, the, the only notable thing he's done, not because it was necessarily good, I have no idea if it was any good, but he did a movie about Shakespeare randomly. <laughs> like, in between yes. all the disaster Anonymous. Movies. I've seen that one. And he did, um, there was a war movie that came out, right? Midway. He did Midway. Oh, right, yes. That was like two years ago. I, I, I can see how Emmerich could make a war movie, though, and there still be an Emmerich movie. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it. <laughs> hey, Firefly. Hey, Firefly. Yeah, don't worry. He looked at the camera for a little bit. Don't worry, I'm about to do the outro cat and then you get food. That's what happens, okay? Yeah, alright. Let's end this. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Ten's alright, but not special. I think you might have rated the David Lynch one higher. Uh, <laughs> I did! <laughs> <laughs> I give that a seven. I thought there's no way he's gonna rate it lower than the David Lynch one. I give it a seven. You're right. I I think I had more fun with the David Lynch one. Unbelievable. My opinion may go up when I see the second part. Maybe when I've got the full story, I'll connect with things a bit more. But uh, okay. All right. Well, everyone knows what we're doing next time. That is true. You have to post for the thumbnail though. So here we go. Can't do the, the worm raiding pose again, though, because you did that for the, the last movie. And there was no worm raiding, really, in this one, so it wouldn't even work. So, three, two, one, pause. What's that? When they do the blade thing. Ah. Up and like this. Okay. I think I did it like that. We'll see. <laughs> Make sure you put a worm tooth in my hand, though. Uh, I'll probably not do that, and you may just look like a tit, but that's okay. Uh, so... <laughs> hey, you asked for a pose. Uh, that's, that's part of the fun of the thumbnails, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, please do like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, all that stuff. All of that helps a lot on YouTube. You can also support us financially over at Patreon. That's right, Peter. If you enjoy our reviews, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as little as $1 per month, you will get access to bonus episodes of The Ace. You can check out all your favorite and our favorite B-movies. We tend to post those there. There's quite a bit of a catalog now. You can get Time Cop. That was a great one. The Transfers Saga. We did all six of those. We're doing the Tremor sequels right now. So if you enjoy Sandworms, check mm-hmm. those out and if you donate five dollars per month you'll get access to our reviews one day early and you get to vote on what we watch sometimes and uh yeah Tra- tremor is another movie that i like more than doing 2021 <sighs> <laughs>
So oh, I need to thank the Patreon producers. That's something else I do at the end. Uh, That's right. So thank you very much to our Patreon producers of Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Al Traisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, they are all producers for the month, which is why the higher tiers on Patreon. Uh, so yes. Uh, but otherwise that's pretty much us that is the show um, this is this has been a weird one I, I, I feel like between already having done the other film which has the same plot you know at least up to a point and the just recently and also the fact that like it's I don't know like this was a weird conversation this wasn't like structured like the normal reviews were no, sometimes we do that with new release movies, though, just because we haven't had a lot of time to, like, go over the plot. Like, we only watched it once. Well, I watched it twice. No, but I think in this case, I just wasn't interested in going through in the plot beat for beat because we already talked about this plot, <laughs> like, three weeks ago. Yeah. So, I don't know, uh, it... New releases, we always kind of, I don't know, do, do a different format anyway. I don't know, if you go check out the streams that me and Tim did for Halloween Kills, we went through that meticulously. Yeah, I saw that it was like two and a half hours. I haven't watched the movie yet, so I didn't want to listen to it. I listened oh. to the spoiler-free section, though. You should watch the movie. I I, I got Peacock for a month. See, see the train wreck to watch it. that it is, and then go back and hear us tear it to shreds, because <laughs> I think it's worthwhile. So that's my plug right. for Screams After Midnight, is uh, the Halloween Kills review, which is a hoot. Uh, if you want to hear me and Tim just be it. It's not like this one where I'm kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I like certain things, but I'm not, I'm not in love with it. Like we tore that thing to shreds because it was terrible. But there you go. Thank you very much once again for watching or listening. I always appreciate it. Keep watching movies and computer at space. <laughs>